something over and over and over, and then you look back and you ask yourself, why do I do this? Uh, so if we're not careful, we can be like that with communion, right? We do this every Sunday, but where did it come from? Why do we do it? Where did it start? Um, well, we can have the confidence to know that it started from Jesus, right? This is something that Jesus himself uh, started. So if we go to John chapter 6, this is where Jesus kind of introduces the concept, and it wasn't that popular when he introduced this concept. Um, John chapter 6, verse 53, and I'm going to be jumping all over, so don't feel bad. Um, so John chapter 6, verse 53, Jesus is at a synagogue in Capernaum, and he's teaching, and it says, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Okay, so people did not like it when he said that, obviously, because he said it, he was like, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Obviously, they're going to be confused, but they didn't realize he was speaking of something to come, right? So later on, if you go to Mark 14, that was the concept of communion. This is the practice of communion that he starts. Mark 14, verse 22. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave to his disciples, saying, take it, this is my body. When he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So this is the practice of take this bread, take this cup, drink it. This is in remembrance of me. This is my body. This is my blood. Right. So later on, I told you there's a lot of scriptures. Acts 2.42. Remember, he broke bread. 2.42 in today's Break Bread Sunday. Acts 2.42, it says the disciples, this, this, the, the brand new disciples after Pentecost, they, devo they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So we see this is when they start making it a, hey, disciples, we are going to break bread. We're going to remember our, our Savior. And then this is the last one, okay? Acts 20. This is why we do it on Sundays. It comes from Acts 20. Acts, Sunday is the day, you know, from Easter, right? That's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So they call it the Lord's Day. It says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept talking until midnight. So we see even later on in Acts 20, the disciples are still taking communion every single Sunday, remembering this is Christ's body, this is Christ's blood. So, we see that for the first 1,500 years in church history, so until 1529, there was no debate on whether Christ's body and blood was, like, actually present, 
when they're eating the bread and drinking the cup. There was no debate. Ignatius, who was, uh, he was a disciple of John, John the Apostle, who wrote um, John, which we just read. He, uh, he has a quote. He died in 110 AD. He says, I have no taste for corruptible food or for the pleasures of this life. I desire the bread of God, which is the flesh of Jesus Christ, who is of the seed of David. And for drink, I desire his blood, which is love incorruptible. So that's a quote from Ignatius, right? Cyril of Jerusalem, he was a bishop of Jerusalem in AD 315. He, he was born in AD 315, and he died in AD uh, 387, so a very long time ago. He had a quote. He said, Christ himself has declared the bread to be his body. Who can have any further doubt? Since he himself has said quite categorically, this is my blood, who would dare to question it and say that it's not his blood? Right? Okay, so then we have another quote from St. Augustine. Are we familiar with St. Augustine? It's pretty cool. Um, so St. Augustine said, Visible bread and wine on the altar, sanctified by the word of God, is his body and blood. The, through devoutly receiving that body and that blood <clears throat> that was shed for us, we become that body. Let me read that again. It says, Visible bread and wine on the altar. Where's, where is it? Stole one. So visible bread and wine on the altar, sanctified by the word of God, is his body and blood. Through devoutly receiving that body and the blood that was shed for us, we become that body. So he said it's sanctified by the word of God, which is a really good point, right? So this is only Christ's body and his blood because Jesus said it was his body and his blood, right? That was what made this holy. In the same way, when Jesus said, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that turns water into a saving thing, right? Water saves us because Jesus said that, right? In the same way, Jesus wasn't the only person to get crucified. He wasn't the only person to die. But because of the word of God, his specific death, Jesus' specific death on the cross, was holy because of the word of God. And so these are all similar. This is holy because of the word of God. Um, all right. So this wasn't a debate until 1529 A.D. Are anyone here like history? Yeah. If you don't, I'm so sorry because <laughs> it's too late. Um, OK. In 1529, there's something, a meeting called the Marlberg Colloquy. Or I don't know why it's called that. But it was a meeting in Hesse, Germany with all the Protestant states. So basically, the Protestants were trying to, Protestant means anyone not Catholic, right? So they were trying to unite because they were all separate. How did that happen? The Protestants were separate. They didn't agree with each other, but they were trying to unite because they were afraid Charles V was going to eliminate all of them. So they said, we need to be come together so that we're not as vulnerable. So they come together, but there's these two really hard-headed guys who can't get together in all these Protestant states. One of them, very hard-headed, his name was Martin Luther. The other guy was a guy named Yuldrich Zwingli. And so they agreed on 14 different points of theology, but the last point they didn't agree on was on the Eucharist or communion, whether the body of Christ is physically present or if it's not physically present in this. Are we still with me? Yeah. Okay. So Luther... He believed that Christ's body, Christ's physical body, was ubiquitous, meaning it's omni. Christ's physical body could be up here. Christ's physical body could be this microphone. His physical body could be this podium. It could be anywhere, 
right? And his physical body is in the bread and the cup. Zwingli, he said, no, that doesn't make sense. Christ's physical body is only in one place, but his spirit can be anywhere, right? Christ's physical body is only in one place, that is at the right hand of God. So those are the two, two perspectives. And so these guys are debating and debating and debating. So if you side with Luther, then you believe that you're actually eating like the physical body and blood, like you're eating Christ's fingernails or something, right? Um, if you side with Zwingli, then you see the body and the blood of Christ is to simply have the body and the blood of Christ present in your mind through faith, right? And faith, because faith is a confidence of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, right? So to Luther, this is literally Christ physically. To Zwingli, this is Christ represented. All right. Those are two sides. We see Luther, Lutherans and I think Catholics believe they take Luther's version of it. Most Protestants take Zwingli's version of it. I'm not here to take any side. I just wanted to show you that those two perspectives, it gives you something to think about. Um, I like to stand in the middle and take the meat off the bones and just throw the bones away. So each side kind of, okay, that's kind of interesting. But the good thing, right? So both sides agree that Christ is present. Whether it's in the body, whether you're eating his fingernail or whether you're eating him in spirit, <laughs> we believe that Christ is present. And you can debate all the, all the details on your own. And so that's very important. If Christ is present when we're eating this, what does that mean? If Christ is present right now when we eat this, that means we should take this cup with thanksgiving. We should take this cup with reverence. We should take this cup with humility. And we should take this cup with worship. All right, so let's pray. Uh, dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the internet so that I can look up all those things. Um, thank you for these people who sat here and listened to history. God, I thank you for all the saints before us. Half of these guys I quoted got martyred, got killed brutally. Um, I thank you that we don't have to worry about getting beheaded and getting flogged and getting stoned and getting put into prison because we believe in Jesus Christ, whether we think it's your physical body or your spiritual body. Um, I just thank you that we can sit here and break bread together in remembrance of you, Father God. And I pray that you're honored by the communion that we take. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.